But, oh, man. I, and I literally, I covered my eyes. I was like, I don't want to, this fucked me up. I'm not watching this again. I know what happened. No, I'm not watching this. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but prefer the classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the the final final girl. Welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I'm Terry. I'm Julia. And today we have a friend of mine, Bradford Nordine, here to talk with us about a wonderful book he's got coming out, or that's already out, uh, because horror, and we're going to talk about Blood Diner. I want to welcome Bradford to the show. Bradford is a writer, curator, and runs a wonderful queer nonprofit called Dirty Looks, and runs wonderful events around town. That's how we met, um, eventing around the Los Angeles area. Welcome, Bradford. Hi, Terry. It's so exciting to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy you're here. Yes. I want to hear more about how you guys met. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Well, I forgot to mention that uh, uh, when we talked about what my intro would be because um, we're all in lockdown and it doesn't exist right now. But I think, like, Terry, we met because uh, I run a party at Akbar with Kimberly Kim that's a goth DJ party called Day Goth. Um, Mm -hmm. Day Goth. People always think I'm saying Degas, but uh, like the artist. I know, um, but that would be fun too, right? But it's very different. Um, I thought it, I thought it was a play on it. Is it not a play on it? Because that's hilarious. It no, just it was. I mean, it was like really literal. It's kind of like uh, well, we'll talk about with the book. I like uh, the path of least resistance. So it was like um, Kimberly Kim had a, the daytime shift on a Sunday and was like, "Well, I have one that's open." Um, and I was like, "Well, why don't we? Because we both love goth music. Uh, you know, I'll DJ." goth music and it's in the daytime so we'll just call it day goth and there it was and it worked no well, it's so great it was i just got like i think it was like a couple year anniversary like notification on my facebook recently and i was like oh i know i got that notification too <laughs> and, like, you, and i was like oh i miss my my baby day goth anyway yeah so it was great it's just fun goths hanging out dancing to beautiful music in the day and and drinking great great stuff and there's tarot card readers and all kinds of stuff it was a really fun uh really great event it'll be back um, I'm, yeah, yeah i mean hopefully when when we're all together again yeah, one day. I have faith. Yeah. Faith in the day yeah. goths. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Too. I mean, they'll always be there. I mean, we tried to do a couple things online, but um, I'm a really analog girl. Um, and so I uh, I did a couple of the online DJ sets, but it's like basically me DJing vinyl in my apartment. And like, I, I'm not interested in that. And I don't expect anybody else to be. Do you have a DJ name? No. Why not? That's it? I I thought part of the fun of being a DJ was you get to have a DJ name. No, I don't know. No. Uh, Well, because Kim Kim and I are the hosts, so we almost are never on the flyer. We always have guests. Um, Yeah, and they've got great names like Ron Bruja and Shadaz and, you know, wonderful names. And and I'm just Bradford Nordine. Hi. (laughs) I love it. You can be your name. There's plenty of DJs that are just their name, too. Like some of the biggest superstars like David Guetta and whatnot in the world. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's me and Calvin Calvin Harris. Harris. Yes. (laughs) Superstars. Um, So, Bradford, (laughs) tell us about the genesis of your book. That's a big reason why we have you here today, because horror um, tell us about that and how you got working with your writing partner. I'm just curious about all of that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think like what was funny about it is um, I've known Johnny Ray Houston, who is uh, the co-writer, who used to be the um, editor for the SFA Guardian, uh, uh, the culture section of the SFA Guardian for years. And uh, we, you know, I went over to his house about a year ago in San Francisco where he lives Uh, And looked at his DVD collection and I I was just like looking in a mirror. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, we have like the exact same taste. So it was sort of like at that point, you know, we were friendly um, and we knew we would do something at some point together, but not quite sure what. And I think going into lockdown, um, you know, immediately 
there, there was nothing but like time. So I like pivoted and, and went to go work on a podcast that I've been meaning to do for a really long time and, and was writing scripts about things that I knew a lot about. Um, but it just like, I couldn't write and it was just wasn't coming to me. And um, a friend of mine was just like, yeah, I mean, lockdown is traumatic. So like, chill you know and then I just like totally clicked into like sponge mode and just like watched and I probably watched like 400 movies I kept a list I'm still keeping a list um and I just would like just watch because I run an events nonprofit, and you know we were supposed to have a a 31 day festival this summer I mean it was just like this year like for I'm sure everyone was the antithesis of what I thought it was going to be so I was like trying to write it wasn't coming and then I was just like stop you know, and I kind of just stopped for like a few months and I'm a doer. Um, so after about a few months, I was like really backlogged with ideas. And I was just like, I was texting with, I, I visited home, which is St. Louis uh, to check in with my mom. And, uh, and I was home and like, she just got this cute new screened in porch. And I was like watching movies late at night on the screened in porch and texting with Johnny. And my go-to, I, I work with queer film uh, as a as a job, but like my go-to for pleasure is horror. Um, so I was just watching horror on the screened-in porch in Missouri in August, and that uh, sounds like a dream come yes, true. Like <laughs> scenario, really honestly, it's like, oh, we're in lockdown. What am I gonna do? Just watch scary movies on a screened-in porch and just hang out. And chat was, with my friends about it. That's great. It was really fun. Yeah. I mean, and it was just like nice because it was like my mom likes to watch movies. So we'd like watch one movie and then she'd go to bed and then I'd watch like two more like afterwards. But, um, and I was just texting with Johnny and um, it, it happened really fast. Um, we came up with the idea in early August and the book came out, uh, I think on October 8th. Oh my we goodness. Wrote- yeah, we wrote everything in six weeks. I, we basically came up with a kind of concept. And then I'm I'm a really good taskmaster. So I was kind of like the, the I would say top, but was probably more like bossy. <laughs> but, um, of, of the whole thing. And, uh, you know, I just said, we will write one thing a week and we'll, we'll share it with one another and kind of like um, toss it back and forth a little bit. Um, and, and at the end of six weeks, we'll have a, a zine. Initially, it was the idea was to make like a really simple little zine. Um, and then I reached out when we knew we were going to, and then we were just volleying back and forth and it was like, well, what would, what would the topic be? And I just watched this really kind of mediocre, fabulously mediocre Italian, uh, rabid monkey movie called, uh, Primal Rage. And I was really excited by it, although it didn't end up in the book, but I was like, oh, let's write about this. And then he was like, maybe we should write about horror. And I was like, yes, you know, and and then we just made a list of all of the different horror movies that we could write about um, and and tried to not do too many from the 70s, although there's a lot of 70s in here because it's kind of like the golden age. We love Um, the 70s. We mm cover it a lot here too. We get it. There's so many gems. And then also just, it's a good reference point because you can look back like you guys kind of do and compare and contrast with what's happening now with that. It's great. Yeah, and I think like horror films in the 70s for me, I mean, one of the things that I love the most about horror films, and we can get into this later, but uh, is is their potential for allegory. And I think like there was something about the 70s, or not potential, they like are like fiercely allegorical uh, as a genre. But like in the 70s, because Hollywood was so like uneven, um, uh, horror movies at that moment kind of kind of crept in or or had more sway in a way that like you could make a low budget movie that was allegorical but still had impact whereas i i feel like in the 80s and and beyond the disconnect becomes a, a bit greater until you get to like um what's his name uh blumhouse and stuff and those are very inexpensively made movies but i think 80s and 90s you're looking at bigger budgets whereas in the 70s it was like people getting like maybe a million dollars and making a movie or less you know um so so it, it could be a little bit more tactile in terms of like the script but anyway um you know we wrote this book i went to a friend of mine who um is in the um maybe one day soon it will open uh made in la uh the hammer biennial that um is oh, yeah is installed but not open um and uh and he does a lot of collage work um and i was like can i use your art for the cover and he was like oh i have an essay and then like do you want me to lay it out and he's also a publisher and then it was like, do you want us to publish it? And then it it went from being probably what would have been like um, a Kinko's 
or I guess FedEx office. Uh, <laughs> no, it still Kinko's to all the rest of us still. It's so funny. <laughs> I like stapling. Um, but it went from being like that style thing to a, a, a sleeker, sexier object, which I do appreciate. But it was sort of like, it all happened so fast and then it was out. And it's like, I don't know. It, it we, we sought out to not write the COVID memoir, but I think in the end it is... It, essentially a COVID memoir because it's born of that, you know, of this circumstance that we're in. Well, this is exciting though, that even though 2020 is a bit, eh, you have something that you can be really proud of. Like you, you published a book this year. That's you could be like, okay, I can feel good about myself for 2020 and done. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think that was the thing that was like really liberating and exciting and cool about it. And I, I, I made, I made Johnny feel a little bit, not bad, but like, I was like, okay, we'll do one essay a week. And then I was just like, boom, boom, boom. And I probably got them done in a month, um, all, the, the six. Uh, but like, I haven't published, so I'm a writer as well. And I haven't published a book since 2008. Um, so it was like really exciting to, because I've been working on this nonprofit and building it up and, 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 and you know, uh, basically everything I've published uh, book wise has been within that idiom. So it was really cool to kind of be like, okay, this is not dirty looks. Um, this is not even like about queer film, although a lot of it is actually, but, um, this is about horror and like totally outside of my day to day wheelhouse. It was like, let's, let's dive into this in, in a really different way. That was really fun. And, and, and I, I was chatting with Terry a little bit earlier. Um, one thing that was funny about it too is we worked really intuitively and really quickly. And so we didn't really sit around being like, so what does this mean? What does that mean? We just sort of were like, horror, go. Um, and all the pieces in the book are very like about, um, it's about how like we read horror or how we receive horror and how horror is like kind of um, a body genre and how we sort of take horror into our own psyche. And so it wasn't until like we start, I, I started doing, or Johnny and I started doing interviews that people were like, so like, why horror? And I was like, oh, I don't, um, hmm, <laughs> let, let me think about that. <laughs> like, I didn't think. And so we started uh, doing it, you know, we just sort of like kind of bypassed that step and just got into the, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So will you tell us about your nonprofit? I'd love to hear about it. Oh yeah. So Dirty Looks is a 501c3 nonprofit that um, started in January of 2011. Um, we started when I lived in New York um, and we started in the thick of a blizzard. And in that screening, we ran out of chairs. Um, and it, it, it was originally conceived of as just like movie night basically, but for like queer experimental work in, um, in New York. And it got really popular really quickly um, and so by the next year, we were already uh, going on tours. We did something at the Hammer Museum in year two and, and uh, Yerba Buena in San Francisco. And then um, it was on that road trip that, or that tour um, that we, uh, I, I came up with this idea with a, a few other people to um, do these site-specific events. Um, I was doing a screening at a really institutional space and I was like, oh, this doesn't, this doesn't feel like what I saw, like I was, I was noticing the difference between like looking at something in a, in a theater, in an art space, you know, in, in a museum at 2 PM, as opposed to like a rooftop at, you know, 10 or whatever. Um, and, and I was like, let's push that farther in, in this queer way. So we started doing this um, festival called uh, Dirty Looks On Location. And it's a 31 day festival that takes place every single night of July in a different queer either thriving or shuttered historical space. So wow. it really kind of like, um, it used the idea of queer film as kind of like a spotlight or um, a lens onto how cities shift and grow. And the first year, you know, it, it, it's grown over the years. Um, we had, we've done four. We were supposed to do five this summer. Um, the first year it was very like, I was really into shuttered spaces, like reclaiming space. And then uh, a lot of the press was like, oh, these people who are very nostalgic. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't about nostalgia. This is about like politic. And so like the second year that we did it, uh, like all of my spaces were like thriving queer community spaces. Um, and, and we do that project with 13, um, 13 curators. So it's, it's kind of like all of these different people are kind of like projecting their idea of pastness onto space. Um, and I'm, I mean, it's so fun because it's also like, 
in, in New York, I think there was a politic where it's like every, a lot of people go to Fire Island or the Hamptons in the summer. And so I wanted to do something that um, gave space for queer people to like run amok in the city. And then here, yeah. I think it sort of works the same. Like a lot, like shit doesn't really happen in, um, in. And they go to Palm Springs. But they go to Palm Springs, <laughs> exactly. But, but like the city really quiets down in a weird way in July and August here. So it, it when we've done it once here. I moved here in 2015 um, and we did it in 2018 here. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was sort of like, uh, we didn't know how it was going to go. And I had a projection for what our ticket sales could be. And we doubled that. So it was like, wow. oh, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what I do. That's Dirty Looks. Um, and have you ever thought about becoming a filmmaker yourself? Or have you made films before? You know, um, well, actually, what's sort of funny, um, I, I, um, I started uh, my professional life or whatever you want to call it is that I do. Um uh, studying photography and media at CalArts and I was making these kind of like site specific video installations and then um, when we were when I was doing a cute, uh, an interview for it was either year one or year two of Dirty Looks I was like talking or, uh, of on location sorry I was talking about the site specific video installations that I would do and um, and described it and the interviewer was like oh so basically it was what you're doing with Dirty Looks on location and I was like oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I like to say I make context um, is like my art, but also, um, you know, because we're in this weird moment and we couldn't have like readings and stuff um, for because we're, I made this like weird little video um, that was an illustration for a poem, the the poem that's in because we're, um, which like, I'm not a poet, but like, I realize it's this piece of writing had to be a poem um which like I know poets so I was like scared shitless because poets are like the scariest people in terms of like like rigorous like aggressive like they're they they are so turf you know they're like get off my land and so I was like oh no can I write a poem and I did and I sent it to a couple like mean poets that I knew and they were like no this is a this is a poem it's fine get rid of these get rid of these breaks you know, like I made it look like a poem and then they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, okay, okay, fine. So it doesn't even really look like a poem, but, um, but I made this video cause it was about, um, this supernatural gay soap opera called Dante's Cove. Um, oh, so yeah. I did this like video art six minute thing. Um, that's actually going to be, uh, screening as part of the Tama Finland art fair, Ooh. in December at some point. I don't know the dates. That's but- so cool. I just got way too excited. I love Tom of Finland. I oh, love yeah, that organization yeah. and I cannot wait to see what you are doing with them. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, they're you know, they always, they do an art fair once a year and they're doing this year's art fair online. So they reached mm-hmm. out and they were like, do you have anything? Um, do you have anything? And I was like, oh, I did this reading video thing that was like a 33 minute thing. And they're like, oh, that's long. I was like, <laughs> well, here's a little video. And they're like, great. So... <laughs> And I'm I love that portion of your book ta- when you're talking about that and that show and looking back on it. Can you I don't know. Um I don't know. I'm trying to think of like a specific thing about it. I just was really moved by the lens, like you said, even though we're not looking back, but it is curation looking at reframing art and like that piece of art that you had a different idea of in the past and then what it is now to you today. I think that was really moving to me. Yeah, I mean the Dante's co thing was like Look, I'm like a radical queer, or I don't know. Am I a radical queer? I'm a faggot. Can I say that on the podcast? Um, you can say whatever you like, sir. And uh, I don't. Yeah, I guess I'm a radical queer. Sure, why not? But like, uh, I grew up in Missouri on like queer as folk, and like the the way that that kind of like coming of age, quote unquote, narrative is like ingrained in my brain has and 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 I think what I really wanted to do with because horror in general is like I have emotional responses to Justin in Queer as Folk and do I think Queer as Folk is like malodorous yes it is toxic as hell but I do have this like emotional response to it because it was this part of like I saw it in high school on a VHS that a friend taped for me because I didn't have showtime and would Mm -hmm. watch. And it was like, that was the first time I saw myself quote unquote, or what I was told Mm -hmm. 
should be myself on television, like the image of Justin. Um, and so like going, finding Dante's Cove or like, I remember when Dante's Cove came out and I lived, I lived here and it was when like Outfest was doing all their screenings at like the Regent Theater. This is like 2005. And, uh, and here is Los Angeles, just FYI. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and I remember the posters for it. And I just, I, all I did was roll my eyes. And it was also like, Dante's Cove came out and uh, Noah's Ark came out in the same year. And there oh, were like, yeah. and there were two feuding gay networks that um, created original content. Um, and Logo, which would end up, of course, uh, hosting RuPaul's winning. Drag Race. Yeah, winning. Hosting <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race uh, for, you know, six years or whenever before um, before VH1 took it. Um, they had uh, Noah's Ark, which was like a black gay soap opera. And mm-hmm. then here, exclamation point TV, had Dante's Cove. And I just remember the posters and just like, it was like all these WeHo gays. And I was like, I don't care. I'm not going to watch this. But then during lockdown... Um, I think I watched Noah's Ark because I was interested in in what it looked like today. Actually, I found um, through one of the curators for the uh, would-be 2020 on location, they suggested this movie called Punks, directed by Patrick Ian Polk, who directed this film before uh, making Noah's Ark. He, he made that. And, and it's it basically stars all of the bit characters, the, the POC bit characters from like, kind of bigger movies like Hackers and Party Girl and movies like 90s movies that were like indie hits. It stars yeah. all of them, but like as the stars instead of the the person go, who goes, ha ha, hello. He's actually like, oh, girl. Yeah, it's yeah. him. He's got a starring role. And that queen um, who I just watched Con Air, which is amazing, by the way. But like <laughs> the queen who's in Con Air and also in Dangerous Minds and Hackers is like a star. Love him. I forget his name. Um, and, uh, anyway, so I'm like, I I had Noah's Ark in mind. And then one day Hulu was like, uh, do you want to watch Dante's Cove? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, and, and I just like literally devoured it. And it's that kind of watching that I'm talking about with like queer as folk, where it's like, I'm feeling the things that they want me to feel, but I'm also aware at how reductive and like shitty the politic is of like, it's all these like gym hunks, you know? And I'm like, okay, I get it. And like, even in the poem, I have like a friend of mine was like, uh, uh, which one is your type? And I'm like, none. Um, yes, but, that was my favorite line. <laughs> but I mean, still you're like in it, you know? And I don't know what that is, this kind of like projection and 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 and, and viewer relationship. But um, the, fu- the reason it's a poem, it's funny because I wrote like I, everything that I'm telling you, I wrote as essays. Uh, and I wrote two versions of an essay, of, of, of an essay for the book. And it just... Um, you know, I can tell you these things, but what I really wanted to do was convey the breathless infatuation, which I couldn't do in an essay format. And I was like texting with a friend really late at night. I like until like two. And he was like, oh, are you a um, are you a poetry queen? And I'm like, I don't have the attention span. And he was like, you do. Um, and we were like kind of like going back and forth about like what our favorite poets are. And I have like a few, you know, like I, I'm not versed in poetry, really. Um, but there's one that I really do like. And I looked at, um, he wrote a poem. His name is Tin Blue Ghost, who the poem is, uh, my poem, which is called Witch Baby, um, is dedicated to. And it was about watching Psycho for the first time. Hmm. And Aww. and it was a really good rubric. And I was just like, and I read it at like 1.45. And I was getting in bed at 2. And I just like pulled up my computer. And I was like, we're writing a poem. <laughs> and I just wrote a poem and, 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 you know, and it, it was structured really differently. And I sent it to my friend Raquel Gutierrez and she was like, BB, take out all of these line breaks. Like this is not the fifties. And then I sent it to Dodie Bellamy, who is um, very uh, rigorous, let's say. And, you know, and she had great input and, and, and I was like, oh, I can't touch a poem because it's not like an essay. It has to do its thing. And then I was like, no, you can touch a poem. It's fine. You can edit it as much as you want. And so I don't know. It was like this whole book was like a learning curve for me too. Cause it was like, oh, like I'm learning 
how to, I don't know. It was a really interesting check-in of like, you know, uh, I haven't written long form quite like this in a while. And so it's like, now you're a different person. You're, you know, 12 years older or whatever than the last time you wrote a book. And now you're writing a poem. And it was just a way to push myself. And it was exciting and fun. So can I ask you um, where your interest in horror began? Oh, good Lord. You know, one of the things that I watched during lockdown um, was Critters. Mm-hmm. I think actually, did I? No, I watched Critters 1. I rented Critters 1 for three ninety nine on Amazon. And I was like, are you really doing this? And I did. And um, <laughs> I, I think my really first memories of horror are like growing up. Because I, I grew up in Missouri, but actually like when I was younger, I lived in a really small town in Illinois. And we didn't have cable. And so I would watch daytime network television on like a Saturday was like Critters 2. It was like, it was like kind of like the dregs, you know, but it was like (laughs) always playing. And I just remember uh, like, like, you know, I think like one of the things that's like salient about horror is, is the way it gets like really wrapped up in all of your body stuff. Like, I think that there's like eroticism. Like, I remember like um, the critters jumping into the Easter bunny suit and eating the Easter bunny and like that being like, ew, but also that being like, ooh. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, when you're like seven or whatever and you're like, or maybe even younger, or maybe like, I don't know, let's just say seven. Um, you don't know what to do with that. And so it's sort of like informative, but you kind of just sort of like kind of put, you know, put it, tag it in your brain and go like, come back to this when you know a little bit more. But um, like, that's sort of like my first memory. But then like, um, gosh, I don't know. I just always loved horror. I mean, um, do you, Exorcist. Do you, and Is that your favorite? What do you have a favorite? <sighs> okay. So I have a, I have a top three that's really like, um, uh, deep cut pretentious, um, but it's yes. true. Um, and that's Messiah of Evil, mm-hmm. uh, which is in the book, which I, it's like my favorite horror movie, uh, 70s. They're all 70s. Messiah of Evil, Death Dream, a.k.a. Dead of Night, which is Bob Clark, Bob Clark's other horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wearing a, um, a black Christmas t-shirt. You can't see that on the podcast mm-hmm. um, so for, for this for this talk expressly. Um, and uh, what's the other? Oh, just before dawn, which is a really great kind of like alterna hills have eyes um, with like Ooh. the best the best final girl moment that I've Ooh. ever seen. Oh my! That now we have one. Spoiler. It's they are written so down good. on the list. Okay, it's good. So good. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, like then it's also like I mean during lockdown, I've had so many opportunities to like revisit certain things, and it's like you know then I watch. The Exorcist and The Shining, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it you 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 can't beat this with a stick, you know. It's like Teflon mm-hmm. holds up, mm-hmm. yeah, holds like up a hundred percent. I mean, like I've probably watched The Exorcist like twelve to twenty times. I mean, also one of the things that's like kind of a, a topic of because horror and like one thing that's been interesting to talk about horror with people and think about it with all this time that we've been granted is like, I grew up with like the video store and like, um, and you would like buy the exorcist on video and you would watch it in a really different way than we watch things. Now you'd have the tape. And so you just like put it on and you could like watch it or it could just like be there. I remember I used to fall asleep to movies like clueless and like Rocky horror and shit like that. Just like put on the tape and pass out, you know? Because I needed sound. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I've probably seen The Exorcist 20 times. And, like, watching it again, it was just, like, I know every single line. Every single line. But it's still, like, as you grow and you take on new life experiences, like, that movie's amazing because it's so messy. It's not, like, uh, it is good. But it's not, like, literal. There's not a storyline that you follow. There's all these segments that are really emotional and kind of sloppy in a cool way um, that I'm just like, I watch it now and I'm like, fuck, you know, like I love something like Jeepers Creepers, but it's like, it's really like a straight line. Whereas the exorcist is just like all over the place, you know? So here's a question. Not, so, we, yeah. so we asked your favorite horror movie. What yeah. about the scariest one you've ever seen? Because they are usually not the same film. 
you know, I just went upstate, or not upstate, where are we? We're in California. Well, I guess it is upstate, sort of. Um, I just went to Idlewild and um, rewatched The Descent mm-hmm. for the first time since yep. I saw it in theaters. Or I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it in the Los Angeles Film Festival premiere at this outdoor space called uh, the John Anson Ford Amphitheater. So I saw it outdoors and it's all about a cave. And so it scared the living shit out of me. I was basically next to a cave in that theater too. Like you could imagine that you're like going to walk into the woods because it's literally an amphitheater in the woods. Literally. (laughs) And like, and so I literally, I saw that when it came out and I have, I was, you know, it's been on Netflix. It's been on Hulu. It's been on everything. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh-uh, that it's terrifying. Like, that movie is terrifying. creepy as hell. It's nasty. And then also, I wish there was like a recording of me watching it with my friends in Idlewild because, like, literally, all I said the entire time was like, "Girl, girl, <laughs> girl, 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 girl," and you're just like. I don't know. It's, yeah. That's kind no, no. serious. Yeah. I, also, I Also, I really like, the first time I saw um, uh, uh, Insidious. Okay. It scared the shit out of me. Uh, even without the ending part. I hate the ending part. But mm-hmm. just like the the haunty housey part yeah. scared the shit out of me. I had to sleep with the lights on. Um, I have, I actively avoided the descent for a really long time because I'm terrified of caves. So I was like, nope, no, thank you. Uh, but we watched it for the show, and I was just like huddled on my bed, like Ugh. I was like Julia, we're gonna it's watch a- this movie, <laughs> and it's totally a combo of things. It's the cave that's so scary, but then also this time watching it, I literally, I, I well, actually, I am a kind of eye coverer, um, but uh, I, I cover Still? my eyes. Uh, yeah in theater sometimes you have to i'm not good with jump scares at all but also i think the thing that really like the descent oh it's just such a like hard movie to watch because you've got all the cave stuff that's terrifying enough you could just make a horror movie that's that and then the beasties come in and it's the one girl who gets disemboweled Mm. the way that they shoot that disembowelment it ju- ah, it traumatized me. And I was like, you know, 20 something when I saw it. So it's like, you know, you've seen a lot by then. <laughs> um, but oh man. I, and I literally, I covered my eyes. I was like, I don't want to, this fucked me up. I'm not watching this again. I know what happened. <laughs> no, I'm not watching this. I love it so much. <laughs> And I can watch so much, you know, all of the, all the Jallo movies. I'm not a big zombie movie person, actually, but I do like zombie, the, okay. the Italian, mm-hmm. the Fulci. Well, uh, like Jallo movies are really gory, but the blood is like orange. So you're like, oh, yeah. well, you know, yeah, pretty fake yeah, there. Yeah. We love True. a stylized blood. Uh, it's fab. Well, we have more stylized blood to talk about today. We're talking about Blood Diner, um, a 19, it was an 87 film uh, by Jackie Kong. And Bradford, you recommended this for us. I don't think either one of us, had you seen it, Jules? No. Well, neither one of us had knew about this movie. And I knew about only, it. I just never seen it. I had not, see, had not seen it. What a, wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Wha- wacky, wacky film. I mean, yeah. Why did, you choose, why did you choose to pick this? Why did you pick this for us to talk about today? Well, I think I'm in your shoes, Terry. Like, um, I was, I was writing this book and looking at things, and like, I kind of we had our list already, and but I'm also like, when I'm working on a project, I I know that I need to keep a little bit of space for um, happenstance, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was kind of like, I was on the last essay. I was like, what's, what's the last essay that I'm going to write going to be? And, and, um, and I was like, you know, I I was doing, trying to, I was forcing something that was like kind of about like cannibalism. And I thought I was going to like write about um, uh, Claire Denis film Trouble Every Day, which is a cannibal film Mm -hmm. Um, and like do a bunch of, I don't know, through lines. And I I do love that film, although it's not particularly a good film. Um, But then I sound like an advertisement for Hulu, but Hulu was like, do you want to watch Blood Diner? And I'm like, what the fuck is Blood Diner? And then I watched the trailer, which is really interesting and not, um, it does have footage from the movie, but it's like a different tone. Um, 
It's more like voiceover, right? I feel like it's like a guy being like, welcome to the restaurant where we have, you know, and it's like some gourmand being like, welcome to Blood Diner. And I was like, "Uh, what is this? And then like uh, Sheetar shows up and I'm like, okay, let's go, you know. Uh, And I just watched it. And I'll also put a caveat that like, I really, um, I like, it is a diamond in the rough when I like, a comedy horror movie. I don't tend to like comedy horror. Um, they are they're hard think, to do, but they can they can be done well. You have like a Shaun of the Dead, right, which is like uh, on point. But then sometimes they, uh, yes, agreed. Yeah, or I would argue like um, I think Your Next is a great comedy horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tone in that is so weird because it's funny, mm-hmm. um, and you're like, what? Anyway, uh, this is like way beyond that. That this yeah. is like hilarious. Um, and, uh, and then like, you know, I, I just was like floored by what I saw in part because it's like, it's a really um, ambitious movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's gross and it's got all this kind of like gallows humor. But like when you're looking at it, you're like, this is expensive. Like this is dynamic cinematography. It looks beautiful. It's like deep 35 uh, millimeter. It's like... Uh, they accomplished so much with this like crude ass idea. And, um, and, and so I watched it and was kind of floored and was like, Oh, I think I'll just write about this. And, um, and then I did a little bit more digging and I'm like, wait, it's directed by like an Asian American woman. And she was 24 when she directed it and like all of this stuff. And then it's like, Oh, it's a sequel to blood feast. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually I hadn't seen, or it seemed like snippets of. Um, blood feast actually looms large in my family's legend. This is actually mm-hmm. a movie that my family loved to watch because it's so over the top. It's not, it's just hilarious because it's so crazy. So we used yeah. to watch it. I can remember watching it as a kid. Like, and this is something like, it never scared me because it's silly, but in my family, you know, there every once in a while, like when dinner served, my dad's like, I've made an Egyptian feast. And we're like, ha ha ha. It's funny. But it's like, oh this, God, like so you know, blood feast oh, joke that's in my family. Oh my, my gosh. My, my family story for the, that is like, um, my mom told me the story of like, no wonder I'm a weirdo. My mom told me the story of don't look now. And oh, she's like, my. but really it's a midget. And then it slits her, th- it slits his throat. And I'm like, what? Like, mom, I'm like six, you know? Um, anyway, uh, little person. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, so uh, but, but the, I, I, then I went and looked at blood, uh, blood feast and I wasn't super floored by it. Sorry. Um, oh, no, I'm not offended. It's, it's, it's an incredibly insane movie, but uh, just happens yeah. to have a, point in my family's history i was a little bit bored by it um but in that way that like i mean you know timing is uh everything i guess and like what one into what one expects from a movie in the 1960s is way different than when what one expects from the like 1987 and like i'd seen kind of the because like there's a bit of it in serial mom but I, I I grew up on John Waters, so like, yeah, same. All hail us too. Yeah, we love him so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, and I think like this movie has that tone. And in fact, yeah, I mean, like then the the deeper I kind of I, I watched it again because I was just like, did I see that? Um, and uh, you know, the menus at uh, Tuttenham are um, are the scratch and sniff cards from polyester. It's so good. And, and there's so much in there that you're like, the, when I looked at it a second time, I was like, oh, okay. This woman knows what she's doing. And, um, and also, I, you know, there was, for me, um, I do a lot of stuff with punk, um, punk histories. And when I first started with like the first half or third of the movie, I was like, oh, I don't know about this um, no wave New York movie. And then I was like, oh, this is an L.A. punk movie? Like, what? And then, like, there's not really so much that's straight up punk in the movie, but then I, because it was, I just was, like, floored by it. Watching it, I bought the um, Blu-ray, which had a commentary, and listened to it, and Jackie Kong was like, we didn't have, we spent all the money on cinematography and gore, and, yeah, I think that's it. Um, and so uh, we didn't, yeah, we didn't have any money for casting. 
And so we just cast at the, the punk clubs. And I was like, oh, there we go. You know? Um, yeah. So This movie I, feels like it's made, to me, it feels like it's made to be played at midnight. Like with a packed audience, like midnight cult showing, like this is what it's made for. Because I feel like I really enjoyed it, but I felt like watching it at home by myself, I was missing out on so much of it because I could feel how the jokes were set up and how people would go insane at certain moments. And I was like, I'm sorry, I can't experience that altogether. But I can see like, I don't feel like many people kind of aim for that. But I feel like that's what this movie's aiming for. I like yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of people end up there. They don't yeah, plan to be there for exactly. sure. Yeah. Like Tommy Wiseau or whatever. It's like he's was never intended to be a midnight movie, you know. But this is like was was made for that entirely. Um, it's so. What was what are you thinking, Bradford? I feel like oh, I, think I, I got there. I agree with you, and I don't only okay. insofar only insofar as um, reading about the uh, production for this. So Jackie Kong, but she made. Um, she made two movies before she made Blood Diner. Um, and the film before was called Night Patrol. And it was, and, and Blood Diner is produced by Vestron, which I have like a, a deep love in my heart for. Mm-hmm. Um, Vestron was like a, a, a home video production company that produced things like um, Ken Russell's Whore and Lair of the White Worm. And also mm-hmm. I think like they did Hellraiser, right? Um, I think. Anyway. Um, and... Uh, Night Patrol was like a comedy. Um, it was a slapstick comedy. And I think it made buckets of money. And, I, you know, Vestron did do film distribution, but I really think their real thing was home video. Like once uh, Night Patrol hit home video, then it really made its money. And so I I, I agree that the oh, sensibility- Oh yeah, she wanted to make a video, is, a video movie. Is that what you're thinking then too? Was that Well, like yeah. I mean, so what she did, they came to her with a script because they approached Herschel Gordon-Lewis and they were like, do you want to do this? And he was like, yes, for like a bazillion dollars. And they were like, well, pass. Um, and so they went, they were like, well, we just made a bunch of money with Jackie Kong. Let's give it to her. And she was like, I got this really serious script. And I was like, I'll direct it as a comedy. And they were like, okay. Um, you know, so she basically took the tone from Night Patrol and she just laid it on top of a mm-hmm. horror movie, which I think is really interesting. I mean, it could be really, really bad, but right. it wasn't no, it um, in this instant instance. Um, so I do think I it totally has the sensibility of a midnight movie, but I think it was really made for the Vestron model, mm-hmm. which was a home video model. So okay. Interesting. That's 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 the only reason I. So that was a slumber party movie. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because that's uh, really the, what I feel like all the video store nights were really about was like your right. best friends coming over and like hanging Chopping out, on some Doritos. Oh my like, gosh! Look, and your mom um, and making you some think, popcorn and walking in, and you're like, oh, you're not supposed to be here for this part of the movie, mom. Like, they always oh, come in at like the worst part. And you're like, oh, every time, every time. If there's one sex scene in a movie, guaranteed the parents will walk in. Walking in. Oh, and I mean, if you stressed. think about like, and if you think about um, uh, Blood Feast, it's a video nasty. So like yeah. these, mm-hmm. these are video movies in a way. And, and you know, I think Jackie Kong has, um, it's the movie has been taken up so many years later. It, it just got restored. Like I, she was on tour with it like a couple years ago, three years ago. Um, and, and like, that's the first time she's really had a consistent uh, theatrical touring of this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I know a little, I know what I've learned since finding it. So it, it's mm-hmm. a new thing to me too, which is exciting. Cause like, Can, you know, um, I've watched, go ahead. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I wrote down, cause this is the kind of, we, we like to go into the, the real super weirdo details. So I wrote down, um, the, how this film opens with just this like title, crazy title card, which, um, the warning card was great the warning yes yeah. can i read the warning to you yes please uh, <laughs> uh, the truly unusual motion picture you're about to see contains many scenes of graphic violence graphic not violence is capitalized by the way it is not intended for the faint of heart nor the young and impressionable while it is a sad fact that mass homicide and practitioners of blood cults infest our society the producers of this film would like to express that they do not condone nor do they want to inspire any of the human butchery or violence portrayed in this film if you feel you will be offended by such material please leave the at once note all of the mutilations bodily dismemberments and cannibal rituals were performed by seasoned professionals professionals (laughs) (laughs) these are professional cannibals 
Mm-hmm. I died for that intro. As soon as that happened, I was like, okay, I'm in for a full treat. I'm like, this movie comes with a freaking warning. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm very much here for whatever the hell it is. And it like starts off right away all freaking crazy with Uncle Anwar, like, and these kids. I mean, small children learning about blood sacrifices <laughs> and dealing with an uncle getting like shot in front of them. Like, it was just, it was a lot in the first like five minutes. I was like, okay, this movie's legitimately insane and I can't wait for more. And like, how do you go from there? <laughs> uh, and totally. you think like, yeah, you think you can't ramp up, but then it just like, pachoo. <laughs> yeah. And the, I think what I really, what, what hit me so hard about the movie is even from the very beginning, because like the the first uh, like the the flashback or like the the OG sequence is like totally kind of t- uh, different from the rest of the movie, but the tone is like sh- like Jackie nails this tone. The tone of this movie is consistent throughout, and it's good. It works. Like this movie is like the easiest wor- movie in the world to fuck up. But she doesn't. And mm-hmm. like, and all of the weird shit that she does, there's a talking brain. There's a, there's a, a voice thrown dummy that yeah. like, there's all of these like, details. Just like there were little things that kept happening. Yeah. Stuff like that, that all of a sudden you're like, oh, holy crap. When that dummy. Okay. So there's a competing restaurant kids. If you guys haven't seen it, watch this movie. Stop. Pause the podcast. Watch Blood Diner before you go any further. Highly recommend. Um, but there's a competing diner against the the Tuttenham Cafe, and this guy has a dummy that just looks like a crazy. Reminded me of one of those uh, one of those old music videos. What am I? What's the video I'm thinking of? Oh my god, I'm blanking. Sorry, it was this old music video that had like dummies and stuff in it, and it was crazy. Anyway, it was very 80s. Um, and uh, is it Rocket? Yeah. Is it the Herbie Hancock one? Maybe and that's like robots. Um, no, yeah, there's just like a puppet. Who just like is a character? And they're just like they treat us so, like he's like the wacky coot who hangs out the restaurant, but he's also just a puppet. You're like, wait, what? He's just what? a That's dummy a with with a voice throw. Who's like, yeah, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then and then the dummy is like literally talking to uh, Nanette Lafrance, who looks just like Janet Jackson and was yes. as as per Jackie Cox's. Uh, I I put this as fact in the book, but like. Uh, I'll, I'll caveat this with like, this is what she says. She said that that was Janet Jackson's hairdresser. It would be like seeing two of them. She looks exactly yeah. like her. It's really weird. She even sounds exactly like, like her. Even her like quality of like her vocal speaking tone and quality. I was like, she's like a lost Jackson that I didn't know about. Like at first I was like Googling as soon as she like got on the screen. And of course her character's last name is Jackson. And I was like, oh, is this like because she looks and sounds so much like this family? Like she is a lost Jackson sibling or cousin. Like it's wild. And I but think, I was really like, excited that... to see this black female detective. Yes. I was like, what? 1980s? I I mean, I know like Jumpin' Jack Flash, I, there's a character named Terry. That's one I very much, you know, relate to. But like, literally, that's it. Like, there's nobody else like doing like, was Whoopi Goldberg playing like detectives or doing like chasing movies like this? It's like, who else was doing this? It's amazing. I know. That's what was so exciting. Like, you know, I think watching this movie it's just like there are all these boxes that just get che- or not boxes that get checked. It's the opposite of that. It's like what, what? Like as a contemporary viewer, I mean, I really think that like you know, I understand that it, this is the schlocky movie that we're talking about called Blood Diner, but like it's so ahead of its time in terms of like what we're seeing on screen and how it's playing out. Uh, I mean, it is also very of its time. But uh, I was just really blown away by it, um, by by having a black female, like very well dressed black female, capable female detective who like sees the fucking thing through at the end. You know, like um, one of the other details. That is between really this guy who's trying to hit on her the whole time, and she's like, "Nah, I got this. Like, don't try to mansplain this case to me. Like, I understand what's going on." Um, let me just do my job. Let me do my investigating and move on. <laughs> totally. One one of the other details that um Jackie talks about in her uh in the uh, uh, uh audio commentary is um the part of the brothers were written to be um 
ugly and creepy. And she was like, no, we needed to make these guys smooth and sexy. She was like, I wanted you to like want to sleep with them because that makes it so much weirder and creepier. And also like it was the eighties and serial killers were like really big at that. Well, I mean, well, no, actually serial killers aren't big anymore, but actively anyway. (laughs) Um, But like, she was like, I wanted it to be like Ted Bundy. Yeah. Usually most like like good killers, quote, quote unquote, not good, but like good at killing um, or getting their job done are usually really hot. Like, I mean, that's like part of, I don't know, they're, they're able to lure these women in. And so they're trying to get all these women because they have to piece them together to make this like super, the re- re- resurrect their goddess, Sheetar. Sheetar. And, Ishtar, and meanwhile. Ishtar, I love all the name, name mess ups. Like, yes. <laughs> And meanwhile, they're in like, um, where are they doing this? mind you, in a vegan restaurant on Sunset Boulevard. On Sunset and is it Cahuenga, I think? You're just like, what? And there's all these like turbaned people like eating fingers, but they're like, it's tofu, you know? I mean, it is it is a really contemporary movie. I mean, it's taking the piss of like, um, like the Source Family Restaurant and places like that. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, oh my God, I don't know. It's, you know, like- we're we've said so much about the movie and we're like we aren't even skimming the surface i mean there's like a mass shooting for a topless aerobics um class from people wearing uh uh ron ron and nancy reagan masks there is a woman who gets killed with a hush puppy head mm-hmm. um like oh, what, the, uh, there's can we a talk talking about the hush brain. puppy head can we go back to that? Because that death was so insane to me when he, so he's like battering up that lady and like put her in like whatever batter and then dips her head into the fried. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, and, he's like pretending talk- like he's about to fuck her. He's like yes, lathering like up delicious. her tits with, yeah. And then he just dumps her head and it's, it comes out this perfect spherical ball with earrings on it. It's like a falafel. <laughs> <laughs> Falafel. That's a vegetarian. <laughs> Hush puppies are vegetarian how, too, aren't they? Probably how they how they'd sell it. Yeah. yeah, typically, yeah. That's how they'd sell it. I'm sure at that restaurant, though. Like, oh yeah, the biggest falafel. I can chop it up. Oh goodness, <laughs> goodness. Um, so and I think if we took a drink every time they said the word shitar in this film, we'd be we'd be pretty good. We'd be pretty good. So it, like it's this, but you said like there is this like this punk sensibility to it, and like there is. Yeah. You know, like a big, the big like finale climax is like a punk club where they're like everything. It's like, because really at a punk club, if you, if you glanced over and on a second stage, there was somebody doing a blood sacrifice, you wouldn't blink an eye, right? You'd just be like, oh, part of the show. Like it's, there'd be nothing. I would totally I buy it. I know. It's so true. But I mean, let's also talk about like the, well, um, also the music is really interesting too, because mm-hmm. the music is all this kind of like Motown-esque music and like the, the punk bands are not what you would, I mean, it's like the punk band that's playing at the end. Like, first of all, they're like really like the first time you see the club, they're like, um, there's these rabid um, lines of people trying to get into this club. And then there's like um, basically Motown singers on the stage. And you're like, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, that was so weird to me. I was like, okay, like the bouncers like blocking them out. And then that's what they walked into was like Jerry curled, like eighties, fifties look inspired Motown guys. Like that was, nuts and then the end it's um it's the guy with a really big bouffant and his uh his band is all nazis with nooses around their necks with their faces painted so they look like they're dead and then like girls in blue bobs and a cow um Mm -hmm. at one point and yeah i mean in my book i kind of like um the the thing that was interesting for me with the shitar and the um uh, th- that singer is I, I just really like situated it in that particular period of time um, and thought about these two kind of rivaling punk um, icons that were East Coast, West Coast. Um, there was just a really amazing show at the box um, in downtown Los Angeles um, of this amazing uh, LA performance artist um, called uh, uh, Joanna Went. And she made these like really insane, weird, wild uh, costumes. And one of the costumes was like a giant vagina chest. And like, oh, we haven't mentioned that Shitara's entire chest is a vagina dentata. Um, But like, there's like, so for me, I just also wrote, I don't even, you know, I'm sure like it probably wasn't intentional. But so I'm like, okay, so Shitar is Joanna Went. Because Joanna Went would also like perform on stage with like um, 
like animal parts and power tools and like really goofy sculptures that kind of resemble a lot of the creatures in this movie, frankly. Um, and, and she was West coast. And then the guy with the pompadour bouffant thing was in my mind, I, I like, she could not have not tailored that after John sex, who was like New York pyramid club. He had a blonde mane that like went up like, 10 inches and he had a backing band that was the bodacious tatas and i was like when i watched it i mean you know we 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 tell ourselves stories in order to live and i was just like okay this is joanna went versus john sex and joanna went wins um you know that was just like my little uh my little fun story time moment about punk history no, but I love that we, it, it could all be 100% true or it could just be like, that's what your was your way in and endowed that, that scene for you, you know, either way. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think like someone like Joanna Went and someone like John Sex contributes to us to an aesthetic of a scene, whether or not like Sheetar is Joanna Went. It's like Sheetar is Joanna Went or Sheetar is because Joanna Went, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And looks that way. And she looks so cool. And she went. And she wins. And she wins. And she, and she can and she shoot wins. lasers out of her fingers and body. I was like, oh my God, Sheetar is amazing. She I doesn't know. really talk really well, but I love I love the button of her like going out of the club all sexy and like hopping in a car with some random guys like, you're hot, get in my car. And she's like, mm. And she's, she's like, like, no, no, seriously. I'm Sheetar. Yeah. And he doesn't even like, he. It, it's not like get out of the car. Oh my God, you have a demon mouth. He's just like, okay. Cool. <laughs> Off they go. It's gonna be new, like yeah. Hollywood Boulevard, nineteen eighties. You know, like let's do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I will also say it's funny that we're like. I, I think it's a credit to like Jackie Cox's uh, Kong's uh, attention to detail um, that we're talking about Sheetar when like Sheetar gets born amidst this entire like zombie apocalypse. Like the entire punk club turns into zombies and there's this like insane ending, but actually like what's really memorable is this, this Sheetar figure or this dummy or the hush puppy head, you know, I mean, there are so many like little weird things in this movie that again, like it shocked the hell out of me that this was, that this movie worked because these are such, such idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic things. But like, I do think she talks about this in her, um, in her, in, in the voiceover uh, commentary. Uh, like she, uh, when she was 18, Marlon Brando gave her, her a 16 millimeter camera and cinematography was really important to her. And you get that in this movie. It's not cheaply made. It looks good. Like it's a solidly made movie and it's a schlock fest, but because it's solidly made, you're just like there, you're in it and it works. And I, I think it's kind of like a miracle that the movie works, but it really does. So I guess the best recommendation we could give you is like to what do a double feature, right? You watch your blood feast, you get like the base of where it came from and then you move on to a totally different tone into blood diner. And then it's like a night of fun of, of, of Egyptian and Lumerian feasts. Totally. Stop. What I want to know is, um, like, what what do you think inspired Vestron releasing in 1987 to go? Oh, I know. Let's make a sequel to Blood Feast. I couldn't even tell you. Somebody probably had the rights. Do you Someone know what I mean? Though, like, with it maybe when they were a kid or something, yeah. and like they just wanted to do it. Um, we should ask uh, the writer, right? Michael Sonia, who wrote this, like he, it was, he wrote it, right? So it must've been something that he really liked Blood Feast as a youth, perhaps. That is my guess. <laughs> I guess so. And, but, but yeah, in, in 87, I mean, I just wrote a book on horror films, so I shouldn't be asking this question, but in 87, are they doing like weird, like leap sequels yet? I mean, now everything's like reboot, but like, it seems like a kind of weird idea to make a 20 years later sequel in 1987. I feel like that ended up becoming an idea more in the nineties and two thousands to kind of like cannibalize older, what do they call it now? Intellectual property. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like a weird idea too. Um, And, and Jackie Kong made like the absolute best with a weird idea that she could have. Yeah, it totally works. It shouldn't, but it does. And also like how many, horror movies 
before like 2000 are made by women. Yeah. Not very many. Not very many. Um, but, yeah. So um, can, can we ask you a question that we like to ask all of our guests? Um, yeah, totally. So, so uh, our movie, our, our, podcast is horror movie survival guide right so the idea is that you will learn tips from our show on how you survive horror movies um so what what is your tip how do you survive a horror movie what is it what is something you could you could tell us so like final Um, boy final girl what what kind of info do you think they should be aware of and oh god i wish i had that question beforehand wait well i'm thinking about the question are we going to do the rating system that you guys do of the buckets of blood and the chainsaws we can. I mean, we, we know we know it's going to be a five and gore, right? Like that's yeah. yeah I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> it's a full five. Yeah, yeah. it's, yeah, it's I mean, like, like there's not even a question. I mean, when he like chainsaws that girl's butt at the aerobics class, <laughs> but then goes back to the restaurant and uses the little like buzz like that same little buzz saw to like cut up vegetables. I was like, oh okay, like that's where this movie's going. Okay. <laughs> It's so good. Um, <laughs> and I like that the way you survive this horror movie is just like you don't go to vegetarian restaurants. That's that's how you survive. <laughs> like, yeah, or punk clubs. I mean, oh, or be, a, or be an easy lady. If you're an easy lady, then you're going to Don't be an immoral girl. An immoral, immoral girl. Oh, immoral girls are the best girls. I know. We're I immoral know. girls. Let's keep it up. Yeah. You know what? Right, Here's so my... Your... Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit. And mm-hmm. can, well... Can I say you be the bad guy? Because sometimes ah. the bad guy lives. That's true. And I, I always love the Disney villain. Um, but I guess yes. if, if I wasn't cheating. Um, I don't think that's I, cheating. I think it's valid. Well, and also like because the movie's like high tension or something. Like you can be mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. I would always, I would just say be the villain. Because I feel like if I was in a horror movie, I would die so fast. Like they would just be like this faggot and then i would be eaten by the crocodile or whatever no no you gotta you gotta trump that because they everyone will think that you won't survive but then you'll show everybody wrong and then you surprise them later you're the one that surprises them okay yeah so then uh, you get killed in the first act but you come back in the third act and they've been thinking you're dead this whole time but actually you save everybody at the end like in cabin in the woods yeah okay fine i'll redact that and i'll just say um use your teeth oh that always works. Almost always. Biting, yeah. You, People forget you about biting. Biting. But I, I mean that as a metaphor. Watch um, uh, Just Before Dawn. You'll sort yeah. of see what I mean. Um, okay. It's, it's one of the most like, oh, 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 um, kinds of final girl moments that I've, that I, no, it is the most, oh, 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 oh final girl moment that I've ever seen where you're just like, what, what the fuck did just, just, what just happened? Oh my God. Well, um, so that's I mean, we do we do have weapons kind of built in, right? We got our teeth, we got the nails. Like you do have it if you have yes. to use it. And in in just before dawn, I think what happens is uh, uh, there's a moment where the protagonist realizes that she's about to die, and she does what she needs to do to survive. And that's just a little teaser because we've done so many spoilers of Blood Diner. I have not spoiled the ending of Just Before Dawn. <laughs> oh no! Did we lose you? Can you still hear him? Oh, no. I'm still here, but it did freeze for a second. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 2020 at its best. What was that at the end? What did you say? (laughs) Oh, did it, did it cut out? I don't know. It might be fine on your end. I just, I didn't, I didn't get to hear what it was. So if you want to tell us real quick again, what that last thing was. Oh, I, I said we did, we did plenty of spoilers for Blood Diner, but we didn't do any spoilers for Just Before Dawn. And then All right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're we're, we're funny sorts because we're our show is incredibly spoiler heavy, and yet in real life, I am like the most spoilery nerd. Like, don't tell me anything. She's so, like, don't even like give me the trailer. Sometimes, like, nope. she's like, because that'll ruin it. Because like, so many trailers now literally give you like so much plot. The whole movie. Yeah. yeah. Like, right. I, I want to. I kind of want to see um, Freaky, but I. Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine went to see it and was like the. The trailer is the movie. And I'm like, oh, I kind of no, had a feeling. I want to see Freaky too because we love Happy Death Day and all that. I stuff love too. Happy Death we Day, but Happy movies. Death Day 2 is not good. I oh, I like okay. it. I like oh, yeah. 2 as well. But I like right. Time Loop is one of my favorite like film genres. I'm super into it. So oh. you got me there. Okay. I, see, I hate those. But Do what I why? loved. 
I, maybe because it's like, like scary. <laughs> like I don't want to be in that life. Like 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 a I Groundhog would, Day or I you know no actually what it is is no I have a more articulate answer. Um, because then there's no causality. Because I also hate like um, alternate reality universe movies like um like the cell or i don't hate existence but um mm-hmm. it the the aversion that i have is the same thing where they go into another realm and it's like it, it kind of means especially if they can be shot like in jumanji they can be shot back um and, and if somebody dies it doesn't matter um like then i'm like well why am i watching if you're right. just going to like, but what was great, I thought about the first happy death day is that she's a dick. And I didn't know that going into it. And then I was like, oh, you're a dick. So we get to watch you get killed like 50 times. And that's great because like slowly you become a good person. And I'm like, oh, brilliant. Nobody told me this. Um, so I love that quality. Um, so, you know, there are exceptions to the rule, but um, it's also like, uh, I- I'm always talking about uh, uh TV shows like Game of Thrones um, and like world building TV shows are totally not interesting to me because I'm a soap person and I like, like Game of Thrones and those kinds of shows are all about kind of like legacy and like familial charting and having this whole, you know, pre-story story that you like have to like decipher and also project. And then like soaps, are like, yeah, she killed him, but that was last episode. Now he's back, and you're like, and you can hop yeah. in any time with no problem and no and and and, and be fine no matter what. Right. Um, I want to wrap like, up and just, oh, no, what? Where's like what? Oh, oh my I was going to say, yeah. If you watch like an episode of like Game of Thrones, people are like, oh, well, you know, she's doing that because like her bloodline comes from the this and the, you know, and because they were water barriers, they have the dragon, which was the, and I'm like, I don't care, you know? Sorry. I know like lots of people like Game of Thrones. So I'm probably <laughs> no, I hate that. Game of Thrones. I, that's why I was kind of like, mm, it's, I, I always just tell people I don't Thrones. I read the first book and a half and I was like, nothing good happens for these people. I'm done. Bye. I watched the first three seasons and oh, wow. everybody was like, you have to watch the red wedding. And I watched the red wedding and I was like, okay, you just, A, you just killed my favorite character and B, you didn't kill. Cause it sounded like every character on the show got killed is what it sounded like. And then I was like, oh, no, you just killed my favorite character. And, like, just to be mean. So, like, fuck all y'all. I've huh. never I've never read it or seen it. Um, You're I, really, I really like it yeah. when they kill characters off. So I might like it. I'm kind of You dumb. might like it, but it's, like, it's whatever. Okay. Maybe uh, anyway, as we're, as we're negging Game of Thrones, we should probably wrap up. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week um, for Horror Movies for Thank you so much, Bradford, for joining us. Um, oh, where can God, people find you? Um, on Instagram, I am Fox and his friends like the Fossbender movie, not the network. Um, and dirty looks is dirty looks la.org. Um, and I have a Twitter handle, which is Bradford Nordine, which is my name, but I don't really ever use it. So you can do that if you want. We're so, I don't so want a response. <laughs> <I'm> so <laughs> or just like hashtag because horror on all the platforms. And where can they find Because Horror? Because Horror is available on um, the Dirty Looks shop and then also semiotext.org. Awesome. I'm so glad to get to meet you today, Bradford, because any I know if you're Terry's friend, you're going to be awesome because she has nothing but awesome friends because she's awesome too. True. Word That's up. a very true story about Terry. Oh. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you guys. Thank you guys. Um, join us. Uh, find us, as you know, on the internet, um, at our Patreon, at Twitter, Instagram, and all that kind of good stuff, Horror Movie Survival Guide. And rate us on the whatever platform you're listening to so more people can find us. Thank you so much and have a wonderful week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>